Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is the third Sunday of Lent, and we in our Lenten series, Seeking God's Ways, uh, we're exploring the higher ways of God. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, the scripture says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Therefore, church, we want to understand God's ways so that we might repent of our own way, believe in the gospel, and ready our hearts for the wisdom and the power of the cross and empty tomb. Uh, So far in our series, we have looked at how God calls us to move from security to generosity, from fear to compassion. In today's message, we're being invited to move from earning to receiving. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a summary of this message. It says, the New Testament is clear that we cannot earn our salvation or gain access into the kingdom of God by our good works. We do not merit the Lord's love and favor. Instead, it is all a gift that we simply receive from a good and gracious God. And I suspect that many of us have heard that before and we think we understand it. But if we're honest, we often live and act as if we must work, perform, and earn the Father's love. So that grace is not a lived experience. And my friends, I believe that Jesus, our Lord and Master, wants to unify your head, heart, and hands in this message this morning to receive and embody the grace of God today. How does that sound? Sound pretty good. I think so. So once again, let's prepare our hearts to receive a word from the Lord. Father, help us to open our hearts to you in this moment. We want to be moldable clay in your hands. Jesus, we confess our need for you, for it's in you alone that we find life. And Holy Spirit, help us to repent and to receive the scandalous grace of Jesus this morning so that we can truly live by faith and extend God's grace to others. And all God's people said, amen. If you would, grab your Bible and let's go to our main scripture passage this morning. This is found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Matthew 20. Verses 1 through 16. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Let's stand for the reading of the Scripture. I could probably see my Bible better that way too. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven... Is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner, landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who've worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them. Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Y'all ready for this one? <laughs> Jesus loved to tell stories, and he did this through parables. We have a learning community right now that's looking at the parables of Jesus. Uh, parables of Jesus were a way of describing who God is, what life in his kingdom is like, and what we must do if we're going to believe the gospel and follow him. And his parables often involved challenging the status quo, as well as systems of abuse, oppression, and exploitation. Uh, sometimes you've probably heard parables or earthly stories with heavenly meanings. As one author put it, uh, they're, they're earthly stories with heavy meanings. But there's a good point to make in that, that when we say full of heavenly meaning, we mean the kingdom of God. Or as Matthew, who is a Jewish writer, said the kingdom of heaven. They're simply used synonymously, heaven and, and God in this case. And so we get a glimpse into the divine mind and what God wants in his economy, which we call the kingdom of God. So while the meaning was straightforward at times, at other times it was unclear, only revealed to those who had ears to hear and were willing to align themselves with the truth. Many of the parables are memorable, likable. Uh, a lot of them, they make us feel good. And they move us. Think about some of them. The parable of the lost sheep, right? Where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Makes us feel really good, especially if we've been that one. Or what about the unforgiving debtor? You remember the guy who was forgiven a great debt? 
And then he raked someone over the coals for owing him a few dollars. And then the, the judge throws him in jail. Yay! That guy was a jerk. We like that story. And the Good Samaritan, although that's not often been understood appropriately as it faces and, and um, confronts our prejudices, is often seen as a feel-good parable as well as the prodigal son. We've made reference to both of those parables in this series already. But you know, I've never met anyone who said that the parable we just read is their favorite, especially us Americans. That's because the parable of the vineyard workers doesn't really have any endearing characters. And of course, it disrupts our sense of what is right, just, and fair, especially as citizens living in a capitalist society that's conditioned us to get our identity from our work, our wages, and our accomplishments. So let's reflect on this parable. Let's see what insights and inspiration it gives us for moving from earning to receiving so that we might understand these higher ways and better thoughts of God. Let's think about the historical context. We've read a story here of a landowner and his day laborers. Now, I'm not aware of this. I've asked a couple people on our staff, but uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a place somewhere in our area where you have day laborers who gather early in the morning uh, for work. I certainly saw this when I grew up in Texas. So only the wealthy at this time could pay the taxes, it's certainly to own land and to keep permanent jobs, and the rest had to come to work like this. And they would stand on the street corner, specifically in the marketplace, where, where workers could be recruited for the day. The workers would agree to a full day's work in this particular story, which would have been from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. That's a long day. I've worked a 12-hour shift like that before. But it was out in the scorching heat. It was in a plastic factory. I had to wear a hairnet and a, and a face covering before there was a pandemic. It wasn't pleasant. But these guys had it worse. So from 6 to 6, and in three-hour blocks, as we saw in the story. So 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, noon, and then 3 o'clock, and of course the end of the day. The landowner in this parable hires the first round and then comes back uh, to, at those blocks and then at the end of the day to find a group waiting there. Now notice in the middle of a block with the one, only one hour left in the day. Now, Jesus in this parable says they're not working. Why are these folks not working? That's a good question to ask. Why are they not working? They say nobody would hire us. We have no reason to believe that uh, this wasn't the case. And why not? Why wouldn't they be hired? Who are they? What kind of people in the Lord's day are the last to find jobs? Nothing in the story suggests that they were irresponsible or lazy, as we might assume. Instead, it's safe to say they are unwanted. Now think about this. Who spends the entire day waiting to be hired? Six, nine, noon, three, and then it's five o'clock. They're there at five o'clock. In Jesus' time, this would be the weak, the infirm, the disabled, and the elderly. 
and possibly other folks who are discriminated against due to prejudices and fear. They are there because they weren't chosen. And now they fear going home to their families empty-handed. Have you ever experienced not being chosen? One of the first things that comes to my mind is having grown up, uh, particularly as a guy, and we go and play sports out on the, on the lot or in the, or in the yard. And how, maybe you've experienced this, would we pick teams, right? I won't get a show of hands, but I'm assuming there's people in the room who were the last person standing. Now, and if you've been there, you know what this feels like. Uh, I actually wasn't the last chosen, not necessarily the first, but wasn't the last. But I will tell you, as a father, I witnessed this firsthand with my son. A couple of years ago, our family got together, and we're going to have a family baseball game out in the yard. I was chosen right away, one, because there were a lot of kids, and I was an adult, so I got chosen. And I'm watching as one person is chosen after the next to see my son, my oldest son, for the first time that I'm aware of in his life, see what is happening and the look on his face as he realized I wasn't chosen right away. His mind processing, what does that mean? What does that say about me? It, it broke my heart. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've been that person. And I want you to think about that feeling, bring it into this story of those who were not chosen. Back to the parable. So an hour later, the landowner tells the foreman to pay the latecomers first. <laughs> now, can I get this? They're all lining up to get their paycheck. He tells them to pay them first. And what's he going to pay them? A full day's wage. Now, why is he doing this? Has this guy not heard of direct deposit? I mean, he's clearly doing this on purpose. He wants everyone to see this act of generosity, of love, and of grace. So he says to the foreman, pay them a full day's work even though they had only worked an hour. As I said, this was obviously done on purpose. And then, as we would expect, come the many questions and objections to this sort of behavior of the boss. So let's then think about the intended meaning of this parable. Certainly challenges us on many levels, doesn't it? Think about this. If you're taking notes, you might jot some of this down in these next couple of points. This is a parable about God's grace. It's, it's a parable about people in need and about affirming the dignity and the worth of others. And to get its meaning and understand it best, we need to recognize its larger context, particularly the story in the previous chapter. If your Bible is open, just go back and look at chapter 19. You'll see this. The parable of the vineyard workers comes immediately after Jesus' interaction with a rich young man who asked what he needed to do to earn eternal life. 
Jesus then told this young man to sell all his possessions and follow him. And as you recall, this wealthy man wouldn't do it because he prized what he owned more than what Jesus could give him. One way you could look at it is he got his identity from his stuff, from his money, his status. And he stopped to think about it, looked at Jesus, right? The guy who had no place to lay his head, who was this vagabond dude, not real sure about his future. Mm, I'll go with my money. This rich man failed to accept the way things worked in God's economy. It was not about what he had earned or could ever achieve by his own efforts. Remember, Jesus watches this guy turn around and leave, and Jesus is saddened by this. It's not what Jesus wanted. It's not what he wants for us. It was rather for this rich young ruler, and why Jesus was sad is because of his attitude, the way he thought of himself and those beneath him and what he was willing to give up or not give up for Christ. And the last words of Jesus before the parable is a plea for his disciples to rethink who is blessed. I know growing up as a kid, we, we often, I, I mean, I remember this from my, my earliest days, associating blessings with riches. And we were not one of those name it, claim it, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel churches either. We were just an American church. So think about this. It's a plea for his disciples to rethink who is blessed, to rethink greatness, to rethink sacrifice, the idea of rewards, to rethink what it means to succeed and win in life so that they can follow him and live into the kingdom of God. And the real scandal of this parable is that we are all equal recipients of God's grace. And folks, the upper echelon of society, they do not like this message. It requires us being honest with ourselves, doesn't it? Being honest with ourselves about our own pride, our envy, and feelings of jealousy when God's gifts and blessings are given to others in equal measure. Notice the first group, they weren't cheated. They received the pay that was agreed upon. And notice that it's not the generosity of the landowner that makes the first group of workers angry. Rather, the issue is that by dealing graciously with a group of people that nobody else in town apparently considered worth the trouble of hiring, the landowner has made a clear declaration about their value, their dignity, and their worth. You can think of it this way. In reality, the landowner's kindness denies the full-day laborers the bonus they think they can claim, a sense of privilege and superiority over others. Others who came late, who did less, but yet received the same wages. So now, let's connect the dots and make some application for us 21st century Christians. This is just a a few things that I've come up with, but if the Spirit so wills to connect other dots for you and your situation— I pray that you would welcome that. Here are a few things. Number one, some application. Our attitude as disciples ought to be gratitude and humility, not one of superiority or having even a victim 
mentality. Because if we recognize the generosity and the graciousness of God, we will rightfully see, as the Apostle Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages that we've really earned are death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Folks, this is the currency of the kingdom. A second thing, it's justice without mercy is not biblical justice. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. You social justice warriors, listen to this. As justice without mercy is not biblical justice. Likewise, fairness without grace is not biblical fairness and equality. I think I need to say that again. <laughs> Let that sink into the American conscience. As justice without mercy is not biblical justice, likewise fairness without grace is not biblical fairness and equality. If the love, mercy, and grace of God don't impact your views of justice, fairness, and equality, then your views are likely being impacted by the current zeitgeist or what we call the spirit of the age. Beware, folks. I submit to you that you need to run your thoughts by Jesus in whose name you were baptized, not your political party on the left or the right. Amen? That's kind of that's what kind of church we're at. we are. You, you, you know this by now. A third reason or application. It's, it's not about what or how much we do, but it's about saying yes to the master of the vineyard, joining the work, not for the reward, but for the sake of mission and to remain in Christ. Think about that, to abide in Christ. And to abide in Jesus, we need to receive his grace and extend it to others. Otherwise, Jesus would have us to know we're not abiding in him. Here's another reason. No matter how or when someone comes to Jesus and into the work of the kingdom, Jesus wants us to know they are to be welcomed and treated equally. In other words, whether you've been in church for decades or just minutes, <laughs> the ground is level. And you have an equal spot at the table. Lastly, another point of application. I see this in the story. Jesus is calling us to look around the marketplace of our own communities and ask this question Who isn't being hired? Who isn't being chosen? Who's being overlooked? Who's being excluded or marginalized or forgotten? Brothers and sisters, some of those folks may be in this room this morning. So my friends, this is the God who says, you can't earn my love. You can't earn a seat at my table. Remember uh, James and John, sons of thunder, came to Jesus asking that question about power and authority and hierarchy and how things work when your kingdom comes. And Jesus says, folks, you got the wrong idea. That's not the kind of Messiah I am. That's not the kind of kingdom I'm running. You need to rethink it. Rethink your ideas of power. Rethink your ideas of privilege. 
Rethink your ideas of service and reward and currency. Remember, that's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And he speaks of the economy of God and of the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 10. Paul wrote, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You used to live this way when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Folks, the source of the zeitgeist. The spirit of the age. The spirit, Paul said, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. So this ought to humble us. That's what I hear Paul saying. We used to gratify the cravings of our flesh. And we used to follow its desires and thoughts. But no more. Right? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We are accruing for ourselves the judgment of God. Storing up curses. That's the way we used to live, Paul said. But because of his great love for us, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Christ. And in verse 8, Paul says, and some of you memorized this in Sunday school many years ago. Will you say this with me? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. Look at that. When we receive the grace of God, the work that we do for God is born out of it. We are God's handiwork, Paul says. The word he actually uses there is poema. It's where we get the word for poetry or poem. But we are God's poem. And it's a beautiful thing when it comes out of an experience of God's grace. Therefore, by receiving, not earning this grace, we're then able to do our good works as a response to God's grace and thereby become agents of grace. And as Philip Yancey said, end the cycle of ungrace that is at work in the world. How would you like to do that? To be commissioned to end the cycle of ungrace. A world whose sense of fairness, justice, and equality has been corrupted by our sinful flesh in the forms of things like racism and nationalism, crony capitalism, greed, and abuses of power and privilege and so forth. Which again is why we are called to repent of our own ways. Right? There's no coming into the kingdom without saying no to our way. And without recognizing that we're all broken and not as we should be. But thankfully God doesn't leave us there. He wants to bring us into his kingdom to align our character and our values and our worldview into that which was Jesus. So to embrace these higher ways and thoughts of God. We need to return to the flow 
of God's grace. Scott McKnight put it this way in his book, Embracing Grace, how we end the cycle of ungrace. He said, the flow of God's grace, God embraces you and me, and God embraces others, and God embraces the whole created order. This is like this chiastic structure here. Look at this. He, he embraces you and me, he embraces others, and embraces the whole created order. And then you and I embrace God back, and we embrace others, and we embrace the created order. Undoing the cycle of ungrace. Brothers and sisters, this is the way to be reconciled to God. It is the way to be ministers of reconciliation to our neighbors. It's the way in which we see more of the kingdom of God on the earth. A kingdom that always looks like Jesus. So if you agree with that, hear the words of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10 from the message, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. All those others, and Jesus is talking about the power-hungry, law-obsessed religious leaders, are up to no good, he says. They're sheep rustlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have real eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Listen to that, folks. Jesus is the way to this kind of living. And Jesus here is contrasting himself with the Pharisees who didn't understand God's grace. So think about that with me. Who or what are the thieves today that promise you safe pasture? Will you turn to Jesus, the gate, the door, the one who shows us God's higher thoughts and God's better way? Finally, here are some questions to help us reflect and respond to what we've heard. Would you think about some of these with me? And then I'll give us a moment of silence to to process and to hear from the Lord. Number one, are there ways that you've been trying to earn God's love and acceptance in your life? Maybe you see that show up in your service. Maybe you weren't thinking about it that way while you were doing it, but at the end of the day, you don't feel, uh, you know, rejuvenated after service. You feel depleted. You feel like you've gotten your identity from it. So ask yourself this, this question. Are you trying to earn God's love and acceptance? Is that showing up in your spiritual disciplines? How might that be showing up in your life? Number two, what would it look like for you to receive God's gift of grace this morning? To say, you know, there's nothing that I can do. I have it already. What would that look like? And then lastly, how is God inviting you to extend his love to someone in your life? Would you think about that person? Who is the person that comes to mind? How is God calling you to show the same grace to them 
that you've received yourself. Church, this is the way we change the world. This is the way we end the cycle of ungrace. May you receive the grace of God this morning so that you may share it with others who are in need of it. Let's take a moment of silence and listen to the voice of the Lord and then we will close together in a responsive prayer. Let's do that now. Amen. Would you pray this prayer with me? Your ways, O God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We seek God's ways. Lord, move us from feeling that we must earn your love so that we might freely receive it and then willingly share your grace with others. As we walk with Christ on this Lenten journey, let us see your way more clearly. And follow your way more faithfully. Amen.